I put Crest White Strips in the washing machine. Okay, welcome to episode 18 of The Failure Show. We're um, legal! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Ben Frank. And I'm Ida Knox. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Frank Comedy and on my website, BenFrankComedy.com. And as always, please don't find me on the internet. Yep. <laughs> please respect Ida's wishes. And you can like The Failure Show Facebook page as well. Yeah, yeah, To get, get updates on new content when we release new episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, the Facebook page is a fun way to put pictures with names, whereas on iTunes, you're left wondering whether we have attractive guests or not. Right, yeah. On the Failure Show Facebook page and on my website, you can see pictures of all of the guests if you're wondering, do they look like they sound? Yeah, which is something I often wonder when I hear people. Yeah. So, yeah, Ida, what have you been getting up to? Um, well, recently, the, the most pressing thing in my life is that my mom has decided she's going to raise bees. Oh, you, <laughs> you, you, you briefly mentioned that you, you just texted me this yesterday well, and didn't really explain further, well, and I have okay. so many questions. So, yeah, to be fair, so um, let, me, let me find the messages. So my mom has always been a really a really interesting person and we've always referred to my mom's texts like in my friend group um, like her emails and her texts with a with a modicum of joy um so yesterday i got three messages in a row one said i am watching an old western show and the witch from wizard of oz is a character in the show the next one she did not need much help to look like a witch poor thing which is a very southern insult and the next says micah and i are getting bees Micah is one of my brothers. Um, and I said, like, you're getting bees? Like, I tried to follow up. And she was like, yeah, like, we're getting bees in the backyard down by the woods. Um, we thought it would help the fruit and nut trees and flowers and be a good hobby in line with our current interests. And I was What are like, their current <laughs> interests? I don't know. And so I was like, I didn't want to be judgmental. I just said, I know very little about raising bees, which is true. I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot. And she said, we also know very little about raising bees, which didn't really inspire confidence. No, um, not at all. <laughs> but apparently they've ordered two books about beekeeping. And my brother has said that he would, quote, don a bee suit and learn all about them. Don't, don't you need to buy the bee suit? <laughs> I bet those aren't cheap. I'm pretty sure they're not, but the, it was comforting to me that they're starting with the books because I'm not, starting, not with starting with the bees because I was a little worried when it was like, we are getting bees. I was like, as a, like, as a problem, as like a, on purpose, like, so yeah, so my family is going to start raising bees. Wow. It's technically like an inherited family skill. My grandfather was a beekeeper. Okay. Do you but think that, that doesn't mean that any of us know jack shit about raising bees. Well, but do you think that's part of why your mother's doing it? Is it anything? Do you think it has anything to do with trying I, to carry on a, a family when tradition? When I try or? to imagine how this conversation took place, like there's so many ways that could have led to them being like, you know what, it's a good idea, let's raise bees, that I don't even know if it's a good idea to postulate about what the ultimate cause was. Yeah, I mean, we're just, I, I guess we're, we're just trying to solve solve a puzzle that... That has no real answer. My mom has always been kind of into extreme hobbies, so... Well, like what other extreme hobbies has she had? Um, like, she, she, like, oh, I don't know. She was a, a she took the, like, exercise instructor test one time. She just, like, decided that she liked being fit, so she got really into, like working out um and she's like done some other things like she she's really into buying antique plates and then hanging them um <laughs> you know like plates yeah you know, i know what a plate is I'm yeah, familiar. Like I, I've, I, eaten, I've eaten before like when i applied to college she bought a set of like antique yale plates albeit i did not go to yale but it was like in but the, i bet the plates were nice in the theme of college they were like blue and white patterned china 
about Yale. I don't know. We have a lot of antique plates. Um, she's just gone through, like, phases. Sometimes she'll go to estate sales and, like, get really into, like, strange strange hobbies and strange collections. Okay. And now she's entering her beekeeping phase. Yeah. I'm really curious if it's going to stick. Oh, she went through a pet phase. I mean, she has a lot of animals now, too. Okay. I thought the bees might be a... Well, a bit of an extension of that, but they're kind of different pets. You don't really snuggle with bees or anything. You, or you shouldn't. Yeah, you probably not. They're, like, pretty endangered, so... All right, well, I'm curious to see how that turns out. I'll be sure to update everyone. Uh, yeah, we got a, a great show today, so let's uh, let's just go right into fail or pass. Fail or pass. Okay, welcome to Fail or Pass, the part of the show where we talk about controversial stories and Ida gets all worked up about stuff. Yeah, well today I'm excited, not angry. Okay. So, change of pace. Well, great. We'll we'll start off the segment by welcoming our our guest for this show, Andrew Jordan. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Uh, We we can call him AJ for for short. But um, I will. Can we call him anything else for short or just AJ? um, I mean, AJ is officially endorsed here. Do you have any other? Uh, Ajota in Spanish for our Spanish listening audience. Oh, okay. I'm going to stick with AJ. I think we have a rather big Spanish uh, audience, so I think that's pretty relevant, right? I honestly would be shocked if we had any kind of big audience. So okay. If they're all Spanish speaking, I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah. As long as they're also English speaking as well, that would be, that sure. would be good. I, I'm not one to turn people away, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, Ida, you seem excited about your I am, story. I am. So share away. Okay, well, I just want to say my excitement is a little bit tempered by the fact the word die is in the title, but I don't want people to take that the wrong way. Okay, it's from the Times, which I just got charged for again, and I realized that like my subscription is twice as expensive as it was the first year. Oh, because it. it's now for like fifteen dollars a month. Yeah, was that's it like expensive. six it was or like seven? Seven. It was yeah. Seven. It was, a, it was a harsh thing to realize. It, you, it was 10 when I started, and now it's 15. It's so. 15. Anyway, I'm going to keep paying harsh for reminder. it. Harsh reminder, yeah. Otherwise, I, I don't know anything. Okay. And I'm a sucker, but anyways. <laughs> the title is, Colorado Man is Second to Die in Quest for Buried Treasure. Ooh. And, yeah, okay. So it turns out this guy, Forrest Fenn, who lives in Santa Fe, like, published a book and, and in his book, the book is called, um, it's a, it was published seven years ago. It's called The Thrill of the Chase. Um, and he's an art dealer. He was an Air Force fighter pilot. And he hid a lockbox full of gold coins and nuggets, precious gems, and ancient artifacts worth $2 million. He hid it somewhere in, I, I'm not sure where, um, and he like left a treasure hunt basically. So in his memoir, there's like clues to its location. There's 24 verses of a poem that like are hiding clues to find this lockbox. Hmm. More than 65,000 people have like been trying to find it. I mean, no one has found it yet, but like this is the second person to die directly connected to their like search efforts. But, like, 65,000 people. It's not like it's, like, five people and they're killing each other off or anything. Okay, so what's the fail or pass on this story? Okay. What's, what's our angle here? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of want to fail or pass two different things. One is this guy. For, guy. Because there's no, like, actual confirmation that he did it. Like, it, that there's actually $2 million worth of gold and gems anywhere. It, we're just taking him on his word. That this is real. So we're pat failing or passing him on telling us that there's a treasure? On on starting a, a massive treasure hunt okay. for a two million dollar value box mm-hmm. that's somewhere with no confirmation that this is real. Just like starting a treasure hunt based on a poem and a potential two million dollars. And the other failure pass is the sixty-five thousand people that have joined in to search for said box that may or may not exist. Yeah, so so two fails or passes. The guy who started the treasure hunt, the people who bought into the treasure hunt concepts and are trekking all over Colorado and New Mexico and everywhere else looking for $2 million in a box. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with, with treasure hunts, you can't really, there's always a risk 
There's always lots of risk in treasure hunts. But you hunts. say that like this is like a normal thing. Like you're like, oh, when it comes to treasure hunts, like who treasure hunts? That's not a thing people do. And I don't think you think you're going to die from going on the memoirs treasure hunt. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just it's it's one of those things that it, it it's just people people like adventure. That's it's one of those things where it's just But it's like kind of about what getting are the, how many treasure hunts are out there? I don't know, but that's what makes it so special. Yeah. That, that this is a real-life treasure hunt. So the guy who wrote this memoir, is he still alive? Or is he dead? He's alive. Okay. Wait, I, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. It says, there were no witnesses to him doing this. The tens and thousands of people who have joined the search are relying entirely on Mr. Fenn's word and the clues contained in his poem for guidance. So it could just be... Bullshit. Oh yeah, of course. It like, could if be. there's not two million dollars at the end of it, is a made-up treasure hunt. Then he really is just doing it to be like social experiment. If I say this is real, can I get people mm. to do it? Yeah, um, I mean, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like anyone is free to try that. To you know, to try to you know, kind of promote themselves or to or to do some. As you said, weird social experiment or yeah. artistic project. Well, and he's all about adventure. He spent most of his summers growing up in national parks, and he was a pilot. He got shot down twice in Vietnam. He threw, he flew 328 combat missions, and his quote is, As bad as it was, it was my great adventure, and it taught me that life is precious. When I die, I want it to be because I'm all used up. And he wants people to like get off the couches and get involved in something, hence a treasure hunt. Yeah. But maybe a fake treasure hunt. There's no way of knowing. Hmm. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it is too. And personally, I have no problem with him doing it. Uh, with, with with the guy, you know, setting this up, saying that there's a treasure. Mm. And I really have no problem with people going on it if they know the risks involved and they also like a sense of adventure. Sure. Because I feel like the... I mean, obviously, if, if you can actually find a treasure, that's, like, really cool. But just a sense of adventure of looking for a treasure would be very fun for a lot of people. That's fair. That's true. So I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm going to pass both of these. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it from both perspectives. All right. AJ? I'm going to be a follower, and I am also going to do the same. Really? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I, I'm torn, and it's because I do think it's like a fun and fascinating story. But I think that without confirmation that it's real, I don't trust him. I'm going to pass the people who have kind of... I kind of want to fail them both just because there's no, like, real... Maybe that's part of the whimsy of it is that you don't know until you get to the end if it's real or not. But I think that... Yeah, it's pretty hard to Anyway, I'm going to fail them both. Wow, okay. I'm going to fail them both. Got some disagreement here. A little bit. Yeah, so that was my story. Okay, my my story is pretty straightforward. You guys may have uh, heard of it. It's this this week when Johnny Depp was in the UK at the Glastonbury Festival. Definitely have not heard of. I've never heard of this either. You make it like this is like mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's about to get a lot more mainstream as I'm talking about. No, he basically made some offhanded comment about like assassinating Donald Trump and uh, being like, be like, oh, when was he's like, when was the last time like an actor did something like that, like referencing John Wilkes Booth. Oh. And like, clearly kidding, but also probably not really, but, so I guess the, the, the this whole conversation of, with any public figure, no matter how terrible they are, or no matter how terrible you think they are, like, kind of failing or passing, like, what is, what is the line of acceptability in terms of, like, wanting someone to not be in power, like, wanting them to die, or, like, promoting that, Versus like, pulling, like, a like, Kathy Griffin. Yeah, or, like, or like, you know, saying, like, this person should die or someone should kill this person or I should kill this person. Like, like what, like, so kind of what's the I, line of acceptability Okay, there? that I'm just going to call bullshit for a second is not a fail or pass. I need you to narrow down the players a little bit because we can't fail or pass the entire concept of can you say, we can debate it, but we can't fail or pass. Right. Are we failing or passing Johnny Depp in this one, ultimately? Is he who... We, we are... Yeah, okay, let's fail, fail or pass Johnny Depp okay. in terms of saying this or kind of... So was it acceptable for like him to say this? In this yeah. argument, does, is what yeah. he did fall into the pass side of it? Is that the question? Yeah. But also, in general, 
for someone who really hates Donald Trump or really hates anybody, is it acceptable for you to think and want someone to assassinate him? Oh, that's really tough. Yeah. I mean, because my gut reaction is, you know, not to promote violence. Um, but that's hard. Yeah. I remember recently performing at a comedy club. And the comedy uh, club had some crazy controversial poster of some African-American dude, like, getting shot and made it, like, about their promotion for their comedy club. And I said something in this, like, group chat along the lines of, like, uh, like, too soon or, like, I I don't know exactly what I said, but, you know, I kind of got a lot of uh, stuff coming back at me. And I think from that experience, you know, a lot of these comedians in this specific regard said you can't determine what is funny and what is not funny. Like you can say this is okay and this is not okay. And so it kind of makes me think, even though in that specific instance, I was offended. I thought it was wrong. I find like this comedy club had poor taste in that specific situation, but it's like, how can I, like, okay, this is okay, but this is not okay, you know? So, I don't know. I, well... And then for me, there's a difference there of, like, a comedian or, like, someone on stage in a performance making a joke versus a person in real life saying something as themselves. Mm. Well, I don't know if I draw that same distinction always in terms of, like, this kind of thing, like, saying this kind of thing. I don't know if it's technically hugely different for Johnny Depp to have said it like versus like someone to have said it on stage he was saying it was himself I'm sure right um so do you feel like all political figures should just be off the table when when using humor when in regards to violence in regards to violence um well so I think that's tough because like it's also like legally kind of an interesting question because like are you liable if you say if you like say things like you should kill the president, like haha, so I wish somebody would kill the president. Like you're not killing the president, but if a crazy person who's a fan of yours listens to you and says like, oh my god, Johnny Depp wants me to assassinate Trump. Like I should do that, and right. then does it. Like is it? You That's know, a great yeah. Well, and it, also if you did that to a non-famous person, it would clearly be a threat. Like, like, like if you if you were promoting assassinating a regular person that was not like famous. if Johnny Depp had been like, man, there's this guy Ben Frank in Shanghai. I wish someone would kill him. Right, and if, and if and if I said that I that's clearly a threat, I could, I think I would be yeah. I could clearly bring legal action against him if he was telling people to kill me. Yeah, but there, I mean, there is like a legal. It's the same for like if you put your make yourself a public figure and you're legally like considered a public figure, mm. then people are allowed to like make fun of you without it being you know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm torn on this because I don't I don't think that people should incite violence. Um, but I think the table can also be flipped there to say like how many things that Donald Trump has said, you know, like you got to hold the standard both ways. How many things has he said that have been led to violence or, you know, whatever. I I think it's wrong on both ends. So I'm going to fail Johnny Depp on it, but I'm also going to do it without a modicum of sympathy for Trump. And I'm going to pass him for the same reason of, where we set this bar, you know, what's okay and not okay. If we say this isn't okay, well then, you know, maybe this podcast in some regards to someone is not okay. And I know that's a far leap, but it's like when we start saying this is right and this is wrong, we have to be really careful on what we put on either side. By so I'm gonna, all means dissent, my friends. <laughs> but I'm going to pass him and say that freedom of speech, you know, like I think you should be able to Say what you want. And I think you should be able to say what you want unless what unless you're saying. Or however. And or well, it, look, it's freedom of speech. This is going to be so cut from this podcast. But freedom <laughs> of speech was never meant to allow for, like, hate speech or things like that. There's a reason that we, we Do you think have, Johnny Depp was giving hate speech? I think that he what he was saying, it could be argued, was inciting violence. And I'm, I'm against that. I don't think freedom of speech, it should take... It's, it's freedom of speech up until it starts 
taking rights away from other people and I think right to life is a pretty big one so when you start saying you should kill other people I think that's where you you lose your freedom of speech but it sounds like he said it in a vocabulary or word choice that wasn't like I am going to kill this person no, it was just like it's just an it's just kind of an offhanded but like one of those half joking, but oh, I'm like right. kind of well, serious. Ben, you're you're the you're reticent folks. I, I so. think I think I'm going to fail him, <laughs> fail Johnny Johnny Depp on this because right. I think there's a difference between if something bad were to happen to Donald Trump, I think a lot of people would be happy, and I would be one of them. But I don't think it's appropriate for me or other people to promote. Sure. Him being physically harmed overtly. And I'll throw out at the end on that note, I don't think that Donald Trump dying would solve any of the problems that his presidency is, you know, showing and like illuminating. So I don't think that necessarily if Johnny Depp's crazy fan supporter shot him, it would fix everything. What okay. was your news source that you got this from? This was also the the New York Times. This is a, this like is pretty, pretty much, much our only news our source. Only news source. <laughs> we're very we're, we grab our stories from a very diverse array. Of we pay places. fucking fifteen dollars a month for it. Thirty, yeah. if you yeah, we better it. use it for we better, something. We better use All right. it. Yeah, we better. Yeah, I don't. Right. I don't think we can talk anymore about this, or else this is going to take up the whole the whole podcast. <laughs> All but, right. uh, but yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's been uh, fail or pass. Failure of the week. Okay, now let's get started with our little failures of the week that Ida loves so much. It's her favorite part quaint. of the show. <laughs> so do you want to start then? Um, no, I don't want to start. <laughs> you never want to start. I know. Okay, I can start then. Okay. You're, you're not going to like this story of mine because it's one of those stories that you're going to think is like is me bragging that, that my life is cool and it just happens to be a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I'm with your story, Ben. Yeah. Let us have it. So, yeah. So yesterday there was a, uh, we, we had an event at uh, NBA Play Zone, the, the, the children's uh, play zone uh, that's NBA themed that I work on. For. I feel like we all could have put together so much of that just from NBA Play Zone, like what it was. But thank okay. you for. <laughs> Some people don't put all the facts together. You have to spoon feed it. All a right, bit. what famous person make... did you meet? <laughs> so we had, a, we had a player, a player from the Houston Rockets there yesterday. Uh, named uh, named Clint Capella and uh, and basically I was responsible. I emceed the event uh, there in 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 Chinese, and I kind of had to bring him through the space and whatever. But when we were bringing him in, and he had to we had to first kind of brief him and go into a room, and he was like signing some stuff for us. But you know he has like a small entourage of of people, which was kind of funny. This little side thing, but so he's he's from Switzerland, but he's a like probably a six foot nine black man, but since he's from Switzerland, the two friends he had with him were short, nerdy looking guys who were white and spoke French, which was kind of, <laughs> which was kind of a, a little bit of a funny juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, like it was, it was, it was, it was cute in a way. So anyways, when these, when they all walked in, we took them into the mall, but when they were walking into the space or like the small room where we were briefing him, and you know, we're doing some crowd control because everyone notices when a six foot nine black person walks into a room in China. Yep. Um, so we're doing some crowd control. We're bringing people in. As his friends were coming in, at first I stopped them because I just didn't realize who they were oh, because I just was just in crowd control mode. But then I was like, oh, wait. I looked at them and I was like, oh, yeah, you're with Clint. I just forgot about that. So it was like a, a few moments of awkwardness. You were so right. I do think that you're using your failure of the week to brag. How yeah. dare you? Yeah. So <laughs> it was just the first thing I thought of. I didn't, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything like my uh, Singapore on the, on, on the airplane leaving the, uh, oh, yeah. the okay. overhead bin open on the plane. Right. That was for last right. week's episode. That was a funnier like little failure. That's not really a brag. I just didn't, that didn't happen this week. Okay, I had to go with this one. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever works, man. Yeah. See, I knew you were gonna hate it. I told <laughs> you you were gonna hate it. You did. Okay. I can I do mine now. I'm ready. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my failure of the week is um, that yesterday I got booed by like seventy five people. You're also okay. You've also you're exaggerating this story greatly because I was there. You exaggerated it to a guy at the bar last night because you're like, oh my god, I was at this comedy show and I got booed Can on I, stage. I don't even get 
to tell my story. Okay, tell the story. Are you hijacking my story? A little bit, because you're making it sound more dramatic than it is. Yeah, that's that's the mark of a good fucking storyteller, Ben. (laughs) Calm down. Go ahead. Um, Okay, so anyway, I I was at a show last night, and it was fine, but there was a marked moment where I was on stage, and everyone in the crowd booed me enthusiastically. And it was like just directed at me, so that that was it. That was all. I wasn't even gonna tell more of the story. I just, it was my first time to be actively booed on stage by seventy five people, so that's my failure. Well, why did they boo you? Um, I it's really I don't even remember. It's we weird. were it was a comedy show, but it, it was, was a, a weird comedy show. show. We were playing a game show. We were playing match game. I on saw stage. that advertisement. Did yeah. anyone actually win two thousand RMB in prizes? Yeah. We give yeah. out we give out two thousand RMB of prizes. Who like to like two hundred different people or like did someone get like, like three or four three, three or four, or four different, different, different people nice. like a Starbucks gift card or things like that. That's yeah. the two thousand RMB like five like five hundred RMB. Oh, nice. Stuff. It was like pretty. It was, yeah, pretty it was a real prize. Yeah, those are real prizes. Those real prizes, but yeah, like basically uh, we were playing match game and the things that I was writing to like match people were not a fan yeah. of, and they booed me. Um, but to make people feel better, Ida did a legitimate comedy set a few minutes before that that went very well that people liked. Did you feel like people weren't feeling good about this story? I feel like they were probably our listeners were like, yeah, that, I'm just that put, does. I'm just, put, I'm just putting it in context of what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, I'm done. That was my failure. Okay. <laughs> AJ? Uh, so I was in Singapore too. Let's just keep the Singapore week, second week uh, story <laughs> going. Yeah. yeah. Um, I decided to go to Universal Studios by myself. Um, semi- Was that the whole failure? No, semi, <laughs> semi good and semi bad idea. Like I got to ride the single riders lines, but it's like you're so keenly aware that you are single and by yourself when you're at Universal Studios. Okay, I'm sorry, what's a single riders line? Oh, they actually have this at rides. You get to cut the line because you are by yourself. Like, oh, you don't so like even- if there's a group of three, you're the person they like stick into that group. Exactly. Um, no, they're not looking at your like ring finger and being God. like, oh, like, oh there you go. <laughs> not married. You <laughs> not married. You're over here. Sorry. But I would okay. always, if I was with someone, I would just be like, let's go on the single riders line. Like we just don't I, have to be yeah. next to each other yeah. on the ride. I get it. Anyways, a long story short, there was this roller coaster there and um, they wanted you to take everything out of your pocket. Uh. Like everything. <laughs> We're talking phone, keys, wallet, change. And they have this metal detector, and they're like, okay, go to the, you know, locker. So I go to this crazy locker, and only in Singapore would you have, like, your fingerprint, like, yeah. for the locker. It's amazing. And it, like, only gave you 35 minutes. And I had, like, my passport. I had everything. So I decided, I, I was like, I'm going to put my phone and passport in the locker, but I'm going to keep my wallet and keys. And I was like, so I, like, kind of, like navigated my way through like the metal detector and I'm up to the ride you know like I'm about to ride and this like Asian uh, Singaporean lady comes over to me and she starts wanding me again like I don't know why and she's like uh it looks like there's metal on you and I was like uh I don't know what you're talking about she's like the machine is going off and I took out of my you know pockets I was like oh I have this one key and this small wallet She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, you're going to have to get to the back of the line and put this in the locker. And I was like, oh. yeah, I really like was fighting this lady. I was like, no, I was like, can I just give it to you? Or like, can I put it in my shoe over there? Like, I'm like, I will take the risk. And she's like, no, it's our policy. And I was like, I got this. I could like negotiate my way through this. In Singapore, really? That no. All of a sudden on the intercom, they were like, uh, the rule is, and this is like to everyone in the line, there is nothing allowed. No, you know, phone, wallet. So long story short, I did not win. I failed. I had to run down to the locker, run back up. Um, and Did you ride the ride? I did. Uh, was it worth it? No, it was like 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, and I had kind of like a feeling of shame, like I like I, I didn't win, you know? Oh. Hmm. Wow. I think that was a better story than either of ours. I think it was too. Also, really, in Singapore, you thought you were going to be like, the rules, they won't stick to those here. No, you know the thing? Like, about- it's like the most rule-abiding 
Sure. Like, Singapore government, they know what's best for you. But that was the craziest thing about Singapore is, like, everyone's like, oh, there are so many rules. And I'm, like, there. And I'm, like, I don't see one, like, police officer. I'm, like, I thought homosexuality was illegal in Singapore, which it is. But I was talking to other gay men. They're like, oh, there are these gay bars over here. There's this. It's, like, almost kind of like China. Like, this invisible bubble as long as you don't cross it you yeah. seem to be okay it seems like people actually follow the rules there but they they respect it but they they know how to they know how to break the rules in a more respectful way than people in china do if that makes sense mm. yeah because it's yeah i don't know at least that was my impression from being there a very short period of time absolutely okay well that was a very interesting story i feel enlightened um <laughs> yeah so i guess let's let's use that to kind of jump off uh into kind of your your longer story in terms of where where you are in your life how you how you got there what you want to highlight about uh, about yourself today okay um so i guess i if i was to break myself up into different pieces i would say i have this comedian aspect of me okay teaching okay photography okay and i have an lgbt organization that i started called open doors um, I think TED Talks calls it like a multi-potentialite. Like my energy cannot just be directed to one thing. It has to be so diversified. So many things just happened in what you just said. Um, TED Talks calls it a what? A multi-potentialite. It's so some... there's too many things, like many things that you have potential in? Correct, but they use it not as a negative thing that, that we really shouldn't be like just devoting ourselves to one master's degree and like... The idea of like being a mathematician that also likes jewelry, for example, can coincide at the same time and produce something beautiful. Okay. So what you're saying is you have four things and it has created something beautiful. <laughs> yes. And at any given time, one is succeeding while the other is failing. Okay. Or two are succeeding and two are failing or they're all doing well. Yeah. Um. So, so you teach. I teach. Correct. You're a stand-up comedian? I'm a stand-up comedian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I've done comedy in Shanghai with both AJ and Ida, but because of time and place, I don't think they've ever crossed paths with each other. So this We've is the first time met. they've yeah, ever met. Yeah. We have never met. Hello, fellow comedian. Which is kind of weird because Shanghai is not a big enough comedy scene where you should really not know. Well, our clubs are kind of divided like Tupac and Biggie. So depending on what side of turf you're on, you might not cross path with the other comedians. Am I on Tupac's side? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which which club gets which side. Yeah. Um, I, you, used to, you used to come to both I clubs, did. Though. I did. I, I remember. I did. And they both actually have their, their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So I I have a question for you because this is the first time that someone has sort of broken down their interests into like a really clear divide. Yes. Um, You said that like when one is succeeding, another one will be failing. And like, how does that, how do you keep that afloat? Like, do you just focus on the one that's failing or do you like split your time evenly? Like, do you view yourself equally as all four of these things? Well, it's interesting. It's like, um, that's a great question. Um, My trick with anything in life, why I think I've been successful in some regards, and I can't define success as like the amount of money in my bank account, which is slowly dwindling for anyone that's (laughs) listening to this podcast. But uh, I have always said it's a long race to the finish line. So even if like something seems like there's only one subscriber, or there's one person. I don't know I just... why you gestured at us. <laughs> the one <laughs> comment. <laughs> Fuck you. But okay, I see your point. Uh, yeah. So even if uh, even if like uh, it seems like no one's showing up, I show up regardless. And so I don't know. Maybe it's my Jewish chutzpah or like my survivor mentality. But I just don't give up. What's the so what what kind of got you into and pick any of the four? But when you were little um, and you like just kind of like envisioned what you were gonna be when you grow up. I don't know. I was gonna work for the CIA. It's out now. Um, I was gonna be on the Supreme Court. Also gone because I just debated free speech on a podcast. But um, like, what was your sort of sure. like? Well, when I graduated, dream? yeah, when I graduated from journalism school from this like top-tier journalism school in, you know, Arizona. It's like what they don't tell undergraduates or millennials is like once you get out of here, if you have not set anything up, like you might as well apply to be like a barista. Like I literally had finished like university and I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, what do I do? And so I got a job being a salesman. 
um, basically selling marketing services. Okay. And I made more money out of college than I ever have in my life, but I was miserable. I was wearing a suit and tie in Arizona heat, oh, selling what I call snake oil because you don't necessarily know if like it's going to produce any type of return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted something with more spirituality and purpose. So what did you, I mean, how long did you stay in that role before you got out? So this is honestly a true story. And I like God, universe, whatever you want to call it. I had been working at this marketing firm for three and a half years. I was like at my wits end. It felt like the anxiety was like overpowering me. And I had just like been saying, I want something else. I want something else. Um, And I got a phone call from a random lady that said we had received your resume. um, And how would you feel about teaching high school English? I never remember sending this resume to this day. And I said to this lady, I'm like, I don't even have a degree in education. And she's like, well, we're a charter school. If you have something like over 30 credits in the English language, um, you can qualify to teach. And because of my journalism degree, I I had that. And uh, before I knew it, a month later, I was in Levine, Arizona, in charge of an English department for a so charter it, like, high school. Fell, it, like, fell in front oh, of Absolutely. Me. Yeah. Huh. Wow. And so you, you taught in Arizona, and eventually you ended up coming out to China to teach. Yeah. What, how, did, how did that end up happening? So I was working at a Jewish summer camp teaching, like, yoga to little kids. And by the way, I am not a yogi, but oh. I can, like... You know, breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. I love you guys. And stay so present. Is, yeah. yeah. You can mock, but... Yeah, okay. I, I, really well, I mean, I really taught it. I mean, I, I, I knew enough about it. I don't know how my downward dog was, you know, like my actual postures, just like my English grammar is probably not the greatest, but mm-hmm. I think half of teaching and what we do is improv anyways. Yeah. Um, so I was working at this uh, summer camp and my school was being strange. They weren't giving contracts till August. And I had found like an online teaching job in China and I had applied for it. I had literally a 10 minute interview. The girl said, thank you. And then all of a sudden they sent me this sketchy email that was like, uh, we would like to uh, hire you to uh, come out here. You're gonna have to pay all your own expenses, but we'll reimburse you. And I like called like my mentor, this girl named Michelle at the time. And I was like, I got this job in, you know, China. I was like, I'm not going to take it. And she's like, you have to take it. I like the idea that she was only called Michelle at the time. And yeah. She might be called something else. <laughs> no, her name is Michelle. Yeah. Did you speak Chinese? Was there a reason that you'd applied no. to a job in China? I think I went on a blog, like, what would it be like to teach overseas? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I always had a thing with traveling. And, and um, yeah. Right now I'm at 44 countries, and I've done most of that in the last three years of my life, wow. which has been pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to China Kids. You can start it off as an online English teacher, That's... move to like the head of your English department, <laughs> then become a photographer, comedian, and whatever else you and want to be. Whatever else. So you, you came here to, to teach, but obviously, as you just alluded to, um, you got involved in so much more sure. uh, while, while you were here, uh, you know, whether it was comedy or whether it was open doors sure. and so many other things you've, you've done with the LGBT community and kind of how did, how did that, how did those things all, all start for you? how did you get involved in the arts and the community? Sure. While you so were here? that's a great question. So I had a group back in Arizona called open doors. Um, when I decided basically not to drink, um, I made a decision of like, how would I make gay friends because our gay communities are highly concentrated in the bar scene and online dating and both of those are really destructive avenues for myself i just cannot use them appropriately like you know someone says they want to cuddle on an online app i don't even know like what that means you know so i wanted a way to make meaningful connection with other gay men and i started a group in arizona called open doors And that group grew to um, a few thousand people. And I took that same concept of basically meeting once a week outside the bar scene, providing kind of healthy community supportive activities. Um, And now the group is in Beijing, 
Hangzhou, Shanghai, and uh, was just written out, written about in um, Time Shanghai or one of those yeah. magazines is like being the top eight, top ten influential groups in like all of China. Like welcome to China for wow. you. Like we're. Do you, um, do you feel responsible for it? Like having started it with because when something grows, I'm always fascinated. Something that's sort of like your your brainchild, your your desired, and then it grows to thousands of people in different cities mm. and. Do you, like, are you... I have an ego with it, but if I could stay out of it, I would actually probably be better for the group. I had tried different avenues of, at one point, even trying to monetize the group because everything that I pay for the group comes out of my own pocket. Mm-hmm. And it's been disastrous in some in some regards. A really great learning experience. Like, when we talk about pass or fail, like, I don't regret any of my choices, but I have different organizers who are doing their deal. So when I come in and this is my group and this is how it should be. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't always vibe well. Yeah. So, I mean, what were some of the other ups and downs of growing the group, both kind of monetarily or from growing the group's mission and some of sure. the Sure. So with open doors, some of the challenges is we feel so much more comfortable on our phones um, than, or in a bar than we do necessarily at a dinner table talking to one another. And so when you get strangers, um, especially people from the LGBT community who possibly have been discriminated against, who possibly don't feel okay in their own skin, and you put us in an environment that requires us to interact with one another, it can be awkward. It can be uh, like... Uh, this doesn't seem cool, you know? It, it doesn't have the glitz and glamour of, like, a go-go boy on stage. Um, but the group itself um, continues to succeed because we continue to provide opportunities. What kind of things do people... What kind of things do people do? I'm a, I'm a yeah. dinner party fan, but, like, do you do, like, activity-based sure, stuff? Sure, like painting like- pottery, taking yeah. people to a comedy club. And I always say it's not the actual event itself. It's the connections that you make. Like, maybe you get someone's WeChat at that event and hang out with them, or maybe they try to set you up with someone they know. It's all kind of about the interconnectedness yeah. within the group. Yeah, especially in... You know, in Shanghai here, there are so many different, you know, even though the expat, the expat community is big, but it's it's very small in terms of it's a small percentage of the people in the city. It, you know, it's about probably about 300,000 people now, but in a city of about 30 million, mm. so that's only 1%. You know, so you kind of, it's, it's hard, to, it's almost, it is very hard to meet new people here, but there are some of these different communities. And if you can kind of, you sure. know, find find your 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 niche and you know a supportive a supportive group of people that's super super valuable and like like how did you find that when you moved here in terms of finding your group or finding your your niche sure i will i guess it goes back to that multi-potential and i i won't just be friends with these people or that i really like i want to surround myself with creative loving people i worked in like an unhealthy work environment i don't know if anyone has done that in china before (laughs) where like i was a teacher but it felt like the game of thrones and it's like i had to make conscious decisions of like explain a little bit more how it was like game of thrones (laughs) oh i uh yes and and they blew everybody up in like a green blast which is where i stopped watching um it just was kind of like a like spy like like Mm. they they videotaped us when we taught. We would have to fingerprint, like, to leave and enter the building. Mm. Like, they wanted us to sign. They wanted us to tell on one another. Um, it was this weird, like, society that it created of, like, not supporting and loving people, but how can we get ahead and who can we throw in the fire to get there. So, get there. So how long did you work at that school? Ugh, way too long. I... I did something that, uh, well, I guess it's fine to talk, right? I don't yeah. know who's listening to this. Um, so I worked there for about two and a half years, and I had found a job basically to travel all around China with a company called Dragon Tour Adventures oh, to basically yeah. photograph mainly British tourists who were basically on their gap year. And basically, I got a free trip, and I was there to kind of document their journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, like, amazing. It was, like, something like 19 different, you know, cities we visited in China. And I remember being miserable at my job, having this new opportunity, and having to tell my work 
that I was basically going to leave for this, um, which I didn't say any of that because in China, you can't just be open and honest. It's like everything you have to do has to be more discreet, especially when you're dealing with visa issues. And so I went from being like this prized employee at this company to being like thrown to the street, mm. get out of here. So did in that moment, like when that was happening, did you think of it as a failure? Or did you think of it as like something that was just part of the, part of getting out, like quitting a job is... They made it like, and I think a lot of people in China might experience this. So many people feel tied to their employer, especially for visa purposes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you leave this job, you will leave your friends in China. You will not be allowed in here. We will not give you a letter of reference. And so at the time, I had so much anxiety and fear of these like Chinese bosses that were up in the sky who like (laughs) wouldn't respond to emails, who were going to dictate my future. And uh, so at the time, I thought it was a failure, but I listened to my voice and I was like, take this photography job. This is your life. Like you're either going to be building the success of someone else's empire or you're going to do what you love. And I'm so grateful that despite my anxiety and fear, I followed my intuition. So so now that you you have like successfully sort of founded different organizations, you had some success in photography, it seems. Yeah, I just... In China, the last two months of being here, I I don't know the exact number, maybe like 15 different photography jobs that never existed before, but I just kept putting myself on the internet. I'm a photographer. I'm a photographer. And it's like everything is interconnected. And today while editing photos, I'm like, holy shit. I'm a photographer. <laughs> you say it enough, it becomes true. Yeah. So my question is now, like, I think, what what do you think of as success? Like, what, what for you would be success going forward? And, and is it tied in any way to, like, a fear of, of failing mm, at things? That's great. Well, I want, I had a uh, Chinese boyfriend that would say he has a fascinating story. Um, He was a doctor, grew up in some poor farm town. His parents deprived him of education and then became like the top cancer doctor within Shanghai. Very fascinating story. But he would always say to me, um, Andrew or AJ, I just want to enjoy life. And so like, I really have that as my mentality. Like, I just want to enjoy life. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer today that no paycheck, Uh, No husband, no dog, no child, uh, no fancy car or apartment is going to fix me or going to solve my problems. Mm -hmm. Um, That it will be up to me to kind of continuously struggle in this journey of self-discovery in order to be able to continuously find myself. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so you've, I've heard you talk about this a, a little bit, but as you, you know, talking about yourself as a, a multi-potentialite yes. and all these different things that you are interested in and, and are doing, how do those intersect or how are they ever at odds with each other in terms of having to segment your life sure. or keep one part of your life away from another part? That's, how does that work? That's a great question. So I work right now in a conservative school. Like sometimes I feel like I'm behind enemy lines, although they are like nothing but the sweetest thing to me. They love me. Um, But if you Google my name, it will show Andrew Shanker has created, you know, all this LGBT work. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, in some regards, I'm so proud of that. I, I worked really hard for that. And then at the same time, I'm in an environment where like, I need more autonomy. I don't want my kids to be able to look up my comedy routine talking about sex. I don't want people from my work environment to be listening to this podcast even. It's like, so it's hard sometimes when I think really successful comedians or anyone who's successful has to get vulnerable. And it's like, I am so afraid that people will judge me for my vulnerability. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's an easy thing to like forget, but... It's very hard. I think comedy, I think teaching, I think 
Um, because comedy is so much about being vulnerable and teaching is so much about fronting that you know everything mm. and you need the respect of like, of course I've never done anything wrong and I tell you not to sure. smoke weed and drink when you're 16 because who would have ever done yeah. that, right? Like, so I, I can see how those would be very much so at odds with each other on needing to be like, for comedy, admitting fault, failure, and, and everything in between, and then teaching very much so a front of like, um, listen to me because I'm right. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I teach at basically Donald Trump's base, like his base supporters, and they have been so loving, so teach, supportive teach of me. my cousins now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I fear, like I fear sometimes that someone is going to be like, we found this article. Or we found your YouTube comedy and, you know, it's like... Well, that kind of thing has happened before at conservative schools, right? Yeah. Where teachers have been, oh, absolutely. like, outed or they've been, like... It's what's so messed know, up about America for, and just... Yeah, for yeah. getting married or any number of things. I, I mean, I'm sure I've read a dozen articles that, that center around that kind of theme. So, like, how do I, you know, stay true to myself in that process where it's like I can expose myself and who I am... You know, without fearing professional failure. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is very interesting because now, like, you're you're back here in in China for the summer, but about a year ago, you moved back to Arizona. Correct. Started teaching uh, at this school. So at this point, kind of having your feet now in both worlds again it, is that is that strange? How it's, has that been? Yeah, it messes with my mind a little bit. I mean, I have moments in Shanghai in particular of euphoric bliss. I really call it that. I mean, I am literally like a superhero running through the streets of Shanghai at all hours <laughs> of the night, like just loving this city and loving this culture. Um, and then I've had moments when I thought my crazy Chinese bosses were, you know, canceling my visa and holding my passport and just like, I have to get the fuck out of here. Like if I stay here one more day, this air, this food, you yeah, know, these... it's a very up and it's very highs and lows. Absolutely. Like if I had to give advice to anyone about to start a vagina journey, <laughs> vagina journey, no. That's uh, <laughs> what would that be? Yeah, I guess that is a China journey for many. But uh, I would tell them to hold on to your seat. Like literally hold on to your seat because, um, and like anything in life, good and bad days, but especially here in China, long race to the finish line. When I left China, I really thought that I was done with China, that I would never be back. So the fact that I'm back here a year later is a complete blessing. At the same time, I'm well aware of like, I'm staying in a friend's apartment who's out of town right now. Mm -hmm. He's letting me crash there for free. What he pays for rent, it's like, I can't afford that. I, I wouldn't have this experience. You know what I mean? Like, like my experience right now is kind of like, I'm on my own schedule. I, I'm doing my own thing. But if I was tied to a Chinese employer, my journey would be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Shanghai is a fascinating place because, I mean, the focus of this show is not Shanghai, yeah. but Hazard of the Cause, Ben and I live here and hosted here. So it becomes a kind of interesting expose on what it's like to live in Shanghai and to be an expat and a transplant. Mm. And I think one of the most interesting things is that it, it does seem to heighten experiences. Mm. Um, and so like the idea of succeeding is, is so euphoric because you're just like, I'm hot shit, like I'm abroad, I'm yeah. cool, like I'm rocking it. And the, the parts where you're worrying about your visa are yeah. also heightened where you're like, I'm going to be deported, yes. which is not your usual worry. I think if you're in your hometown, yes. you're not like, oh, if I get fired, I also get deported. Yes. Like, so so it definitely it definitely heightens things in an interesting way. So, I mean, uh, we're probably running out of time soon, but not not, not quite yet. Are there, I mean, are there any other kind of stories or parts of parts of your life? Transformational failures. Yeah. Transformation. Yeah. Is there like anything thing, at things any that you want to highlight that I want to highlight, like other failures? Yeah, yeah. other failures or challenges. Things. I will say, I. It's because it's always been a struggle with me. Intimacy, connection, relationships is like my number one area of growth. I did try to connect with these old flings within here in Shanghai, like people that. I was intimate with who had my heart bad idea trying to reconnect those mm. those 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 strings not a not a 
I just successful adventure. No, I just every time my head will create a fantasy. Like it will be like this relationship was perfect. It was so beautiful. I miss this person so much. As I'm living in Arizona, I'm like, I can't wait to see this person. And then like I see the person and I'm like, (laughs) what did I just put myself through? Like, what did I just put myself through? Like, oh, that's right. That's why I'm not with them. That's why I'm or like, yes, exactly. I mean, obviously, you know, with with open doors and everything, you and kind of being yes. able to expand that to China, even though you started yes. in Arizona, you you kind of really enhanced the LGBT community here. Yes. Um, but like when you were moving here, were you a bit apprehensive about what it was going to be like as a gay man living in China? Sure. Well, I, I as far as actually experiencing homophobia from Chinese people directly hasn't really happened Hmm. um our lgbt clubs though uh this is true we used to have a club called basically uh 360 or 390 390 yeah apologize for our viewing audience 390 and we had um another bar um that was basically underground and in one week the chinese authorities came to basically like our two lgbt establishments shut them down um, said they were promoting, you know, unorthodox or highly sexualized content, mm. um, shut them down and basically wiped out our meeting places. Welcome to China. Three weeks later, everything reopens just with a different name right. and same crowd, same yeah. demographic. <laughs> I will say, and I like, I'm on the outside of this looking in for LGBT issues in China for mm. sure. Um, but I remember the first time I was here, which was maybe six years ago or something, and I, I kind of vaguely remember either that year or the year before Pride had gotten shut down. Yeah. Like it had been like, nope, this is not going to happen. Well, there's no parades in Pride and different events. They don't release yeah. the information until right before the event yeah. takes place in fear that the authorities will find we'll, out and we'll cancel it. it down. But it does seem like it's slowly becoming more depending like just more people involved I would even say and like more kind of things but that could just be me looking in and not and not seeing it correctly well you have people like Taiwan who just legalize gay marriage and then you have also Indonesia which just implemented an anti-gay task force Uh, so it's like literally our world is so divided in regards to you know Two men holding hands, or doing more than holding hands, or two women, whatever you want yeah. to say. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, so I mean, it's one of those things that I think when you're talking about those two extremes, I think from what I've seen, China falls somewhere in between, depending on the day or the time. Sure, well, I have male students. I mean, from a homosexuality point, like two men holding hands in China is not uncommon. Yeah, uh, like I had yeah. students that would sit on each other's laps, and I'm like, oh, this would not fly like in, yeah, in, in, yeah, in America. Yeah. Um, so I think that this idea of um, intimacy between two people of the same gender um, doesn't necessarily cause the same um, reaction that one would maybe experience in some specific parts of the U.S. Uh, at the same time, time um it is not a religious argument our homosexuality issue within china it's this idea of one child being responsible for their family and if they do not have kids and if they do not marry um who's going to take care of families right exactly yeah i mean mean, that's always the interesting thing in, in in china is that you like everything in the u.s that is viewed through a religious lens, you have to re-examine here because people are almost for sure not going to be coming at it from a religious perspective. So even if even if the end point they get to yeah. is the same, they'll get there differently. Absolutely. Or if they get there differently, of course they're going to get there differently because religion just really isn't a thing here. Absolutely. But they say that, you know, I don't know that those crazy Kinsey studies, but, you know, there are millions of homosexuals within China, millions that live in, like, Shanghai. Uh, You know, it's the population of LGBT people, whether they are living out or Mm. in the closet, is large. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It must be. Okay, do I have time? Do I have time for one more question? Or sure. Are you cutting me off. So I'm gonna ask a personal question, yes. and you can shut me sure. down if you want. We've no. been talking like broadly about like connecting with old loves and the LGBT sure. community. 
when it comes to like viewing this, you know, you said like it doesn't you don't think of like getting married or having a dog or sure. a house is success, but do you do you ever tie up like your ideas of success um with your like personal relationships? Would you tie up like being successful one day is wanting to be in a relationship, sure. like wanting to be in one long-term relationship. You mm. can shut me down and be like, no, no, Ida, I will not tell you these things about my <laughs> no, life. No, I, I'm completely... um, but yeah, do you think of like, do you want to get married and like sure. do that? Sometimes it seems like almost that I want that more than anything in the world, but I don't know if it's in the cards for me. Mm. Like I really don't know if I'm wired to just be with one person or if I'm wired to uh, be a family man. Like, I don't even know if that's in my DNA, you know, genetic breakup, which is a really, I don't know if breakup's the right word, but <laughs> it's a really interesting concept that this idea of being successful is finding your significant love, getting a house, having kids, but some people really might not be like if we have a purpose in life, that might not be my purpose. Right. You know, I am of service to children every day being a teacher. I'm on the front lines like take that mom and dad, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there is a part of me like when I do this traveling that I've been all over the world to all these beautiful places without my ego sounding big where it's like. I would like to share that with someone. I don't need to see another church. I don't need to be at another beautiful beach. Yes, it's great. It's awesome. But like seeing it through the eyes of someone who hasn't experienced that and also sharing it with someone I'm intimate with, I think would be a dream come true. I think that's a a good answer. Well... I mean, you're you're doing great stuff. Thank you, Thank you, Bennett. I mean, it's clear to anyone who's been listening through you, through your teaching, through Open Doors, yeah. everything, like and your photography. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was really nice having you Thank on you the, so the show today. Thanks I'm so really much for coming. Really Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. So uh, that's been the failure show. If you're not already following us, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five star review. Do it. Yeah. That's been the failure show. Until next time. Bye.